Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Waff. Wow, we are at episode 262, and we have a part two to our conversation with Whitney and Adams. And this is the filmnesia portion of it. This is a little bit longer than the the first part. And uh, I've had to tell you, I got some feedback about the first part. And it was very much this good for bad kind of thing where it was, oh, it felt like he was just getting going right when it cuts off. It was about 44 minutes or something like that. But so it was, they were enjoying it so much that they wanted more. Well, here's your more. <laughs> We've got a lot more. more for you. This is the stuff where we really start getting the juicy side of things of our love from a particular movie and then in turn talk about other movies that are in that same vein and that have the same influence over our opinions about movies and our love for movies. This is, a, again, one of the most fun conversations I've had on or off mic about movies. And uh, Whitney is just a delight, as you already heard. If you've heard part one, it's just more of the same here. Yeah, hopefully we're, I'm already like thinking about getting her back on the show like real soon. Yeah. Well, if you know, if you've listened to the episode, then you heard us sort of talk about, uh, you know, a certain movie and uh, perhaps we'll do a little fan commentary with Maybe. Whitney uh, on that certain movie. Yeah, well, you, when you hear this episode, you'll hear that conversation. Cause I don't think it comes until this one, right? It's in this one. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is. You're, you're <laughs> correct. It's okay. When you, when it's all runs together, cause you, you, you hear it in one. And by the way, I should let everybody know now, but about two weeks time from now, you'll be able to hear both parts together with a little bit of extra juice in there and possibly maybe, maybe a, a little bit more from Whitney, Oh, uh, some new stuff. And we're going to call it the whole bloody affair and put it all together. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like kill Bill. Yeah, and we'll put it on Patreon only for all you lovely Patreon supporters. And if you're not there and you dig these episodes, you're going to want that extra. I'm telling you, you're going to want that extra. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Enjoy. So for just the second time now that we've done this, we're going to be doing a Filmnesia with Whitney. Yay! And if you guys remember, filmnesia is when the, uh, the scientists of the world create a pill that make you forget a certain movie so you can experience that movie all over again for the first time. And she's picked one that we all adore. What is your pick, Whitney? It is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. <laughs> as soon as you, I saw it on your list, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, please tell us what it is, what is about this movie that kind of drew you into wanting to make this your career? Just what, how, uh, talk about how it sort of, you know, how it wowed you and, you know, what your world was like at the time. And yeah, I'm just super curious. Yeah, I watched it in high school. Um, it was right when I was starting to get into, you know, my whole family, big movie watchers. We would watch everything all the time. And it, I don't remember the reason of why that was the movie that I chose to watch that night, but I just remember feeling shocked with how, you know, much like I felt with seeing Moulin Rouge for the first time, just the visual language of this world and just couldn't believe what I was seeing on screen. And it is so many different types of design. I mean, the, the top of it is the symbolism of everything, but it was just so incredible. And I was sucked into this world. <laughs> Very good Dracula reference. Uh, so it was really just an overwhelming experience, which was, you know, the best kind of film experience. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I'm so glad you picked this movie because it's funny because I hadn't seen this movie probably in 20 plus years. Wow. I don't know why. But I remember, I, I remember exactly the last time I had seen it was um, at a screening in New Mexico, maybe? I think it was New Mexico. Uh, it was just playing at, you know, the, the local sort of uh, retro theater there. And uh, I went to see it and there were like three people in the theater. It was a Tuesday night. <laughs> it, was a, it was a surreal experience because I was sitting in a, a giant empty room watching this on a, you know, a giant screen. Wow. With like three other people that I had no idea who they were. <laughs> and I literally was lost for, you know, like I was lost in the film for, you know, the two hours and 20 minutes of it. And, and I hadn't seen it since, you know, I was, was really happy you picked it because this is one of those movies that, and it's, uh, this movie's aged wonderfully. I mean, uh, to me, it, it plays better now. I mean, I, it plays better now 
Mm-hmm. Then I remember it. I mean, you know, there are things that bothered me, I guess, as a 21 year old, which I, they don't bother <laughs> me now. Right. Obviously, because I, I, you know, have lived more life. So, right. Uh, yeah, I was, I was super happy you picked this. Yeah. Across the board with Dracula, it's again, what I kind of mentioned as pre Mike is that the 23 year old me, such a different, uh, different take. Like, like Freddie, you know, there's certain things that you're, the, you're, the young 20 year old you is like, is getting weird about. But there's one thing that's been synonymous from as far as a love for the movie is the visual of it. This is one of those movies where you can literally turn down the sound and still be sucked into it. This movie still plays remarkably well like a silent movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But costumes. Uh, it's They're overwhelming. <laughs> yes. Um, Aiko Ishioka, again, one of the most brilliant costume designers who has ever lived. And so I got to work with her for two the two years before she died. Um, I was her personal tailor. Wow. And some of my favorite moments of my entire life would we would do the work that I was doing for her. And then she would make a pot of green tea and I would sit at her kitchen table and she would tell me stories from set of Dracula. Oh, and wow. I just can't believe that that was my real life. And she was talking about how much she was annoyed with the armor because it kept falling apart. And she's like, I'm going to get fired because all the armor is coming apart. (laughs) (laughs) But just, you know, getting those priceless chats with her. And she was such an amazing person. So I'm very thrilled that I got to meet her before she passed away. Everything is so spot on in this movie. I mean, like the costume wise, I mean, across the board, but I mean, the, the costumes in this movie, like, speak the loudest. Mm. It's funny because I, I didn't know that about the armor, but because I love the armor. Oh, it's, it's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. The first time you see Oldman in that red armor, it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, the, the movie is life changing right from that moment on. So it's funny to know that they had all those. I didn't know anything about those issues. Oh, she had, she was telling me how frustrated, you know, she loved the visual style and she always pushed boundaries. And she's like, I always want to do something new in everything that I do. And, you know, the whole, the whole design concept was the costumes were the sets. And so much so that, you know, Coppola, I think, had hired Dante Ferretti to do the production design. And yeah. as soon as fired that him. was happening, yeah, fired him. It's like, goodbye. And then hired, <laughs> I forgot who he hired to do, you know, because it was all about the costumes all the money went to the costumes and you know you you can tell and it is such a brilliant movie especially for someone who you know loves costumes like me and it really was formative in me wanting to get to tell stories this way because i'm going to say this i'm going to say this whole movie for me is about lucy post um Post yeah. her first death. Yeah. Yes. Which death, death are we one. talking about? Right? <laughs> well, the mo- the, here's the thing. There's the moment her in that, in that orange, walking out oh, into the courtyard, oh, yeah. that, that whole sequence, it's literally, it, there's nothing you're looking at. There's nothing for me. I'm not looking at anything in that screen except for her and what exactly. she's in and, and the, and the way the fluid, the motion, the way the whole thing moves. And it's like living. The embroidery on that was um, oh. evoc- evocative of red blood cells. That's what Iko's idea was behind that that's amazing you know all these different ways to think about blood and the color of it is like live blood not dried blood right you know it's just so vivid yeah and then for the the dead lucy The, the pale, the pace, the white, the, the whole thing. I mean, it's just like, to me, those are, the, those are the two things that I take. I mean, there's so much visually to imprint on your brain. And those are the Completely. two things that stand out for me are those two moments. And the fact that her references were all over from, you know, actual clothing references to, you know, Lucy's, you know, dead costume. She, she based that on, on an Australian frilled lizard. Like, I love that she just pulled wow. That's amazing. these references from everywhere. And she was blending east with west. That was her main through line for the whole movie is blending east and west together. And so she used references from all over the place. And I just love who, who would come up with that? She right, did. It was right. incredible. <laughs> her final death, that white dress that she has is just, pff. when you see her in the white dress right away, you're like going, oh, someone's going to, someone's going to bleed here, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> something's getting messy. <laughs> I, I, like I mentioned, the movie plays without sound really well. And that is the production design and, the, and obviously the costume in this. The whole movie is very dreamlike. 
And I, f- I find that the, 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 the costume choices, especially with, with the women characters and then the female characters. And, and I mean, and across the board, I don't just mean the Lucy and Mira. I'm talking about even the vampire brides too. Everything mm-hmm. is very, I hate to use, and it's so funny to say talking about the word authentic, but it feels very, very real. It doesn't feel like something we've seen before. No, look, like those, the, the three vampires, the, 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 the she devils. <laughs> I mean, look, man, if you told me you just dug those costumes up out of some crate, yeah. like buried in the bottom of some flooded castle in Romania, I would have totally believed you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can almost smell the costumes. Right. I can almost smell uh, the must and mold on those things. You know, the the beyond the grave, uh, the scent of beyond the grave. I mean, it really is. I mean, this movie visually, between the design, the costume, I mean, the cinematography, you know, it's... It's one of those movies that, you, you know, again, I think it's a movie that's underappreciated and, and, and mostly because... And when you talk about Dracula to people who aren't, don't do what we do or aren't film fans, like everybody like, goes right to Keanu Reeves. Well, Keanu Reeves, but Keanu's not terrible. This no. movie now, he's watching it for now. for Jonathan. Like he's perfect. He's that like kind of dumb oaf. That's yes, who he should correct. be. <laughs> That's correct. And I feel like the thing is, is because people had really only seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. That's all they knew Keanu from at that moment. And so... I think that, you know, watching it now, I don't have any, any issue with Keanu Reeves. I don't think I ever really did the way that other people did, but I don't mm-hmm. have like his performance to me is exactly what it should be. Completely. A hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that I, that I love about this movie is that you, you kind of touched on it, Corey, where you said it could play as a silent movie. And, and, and one of the things that in the design of the film is they, Francis, because I, I, was, I was lucky enough to, in January, uh, go to a screening of this in Atlanta that Francis and Roman were both in attendance. And, uh, Amazing. Ro- and Roman did a Q&A um, and that Francis, <laughs> every time Roman would get something kind of wrong, <laughs> you could see Francis would kind of like, <laughs> look, you know, give him a, and then so, um, but one of the things they talked about was um, magicians and magic user, uh, you know, and in the way the first films were created um, before the talkies and, you know, even before proper silent films. But you know the scene where they're at the circus and they're, and they're watching where Dracula and Mina first meet mm-hmm. the, the film. But they, they, so those films, the first filmmakers were magicians. So that's the sort of what the route they went down, you know, all the way back. Francis wanted that movie to feel like it was made at the same time the book was written, which was the late 1890s. And that's why the style of the film is the way it is, uh, because that's the first films were made by magicians and everything was in illu- and things were done, you know. They, they figured out how to do it a hundred years ago, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, to not be able to do things in camera. Cause this is a, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of great stuff about this movie, about, you know, about the production design team being fired <laughs> and about the visual effects team being fired and right. being led down a road. He didn't want to go down. And I can only say this movie, like we talked about before we get on, can you imagine if Francis would have given in and they would have, you know, they would have shot this with visual effects and early CGI. Mm. How, how we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this movie today. No. I don't think. No, like the, in the, in camera, it makes it work. If you had those cheesy special effects of that time period, it would be unwatchable today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's all the in camera stuff, you know, and, and the world building that they did, you know, between the production design, the costume design, cinematography, the visual effects. I mean, it all, it, it's, it works harmoniously. And, you know, in this movie, uh, you know, there's a reason why it's still talked about 30 years later, um, because it's kind of a landmark film, especially for the, you know, at that time in the early nineties, Nobody was doing this. Nope. I mean, because no. Hook, Hook to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. there are more visual effects in Hook, I believe, than there are in Dracula. Yeah. Like, I felt like I watched Hook recently, and it doesn't hold up the way that this holds up for me. It's so important to have those. And I love that throw the idea of the magicians and the early filmmakers. Like, that completely makes so much sense. 
uh, I started a blog during the pandemic, sort of watching every movie that won the best costume design Oscar. And I, my, my first post was about this movie and about Hamlet, the first movie that won the first best costume design. So, you know, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. And I did the post of both of those in tandem. And there's so many similarities between that Hamlet and this movie. So much is done in camera. There's all of these practical effects and a lot of the lighting is super similar. These very stark, empty stages where the focus is on the actor and the costume. Like, I couldn't believe how many similarities those two movies have to each other. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And I, and I, I would say it's not, by, it's not an accident that, that they're so similar. You know, just from watching Francis' work, Francis's work over, you know, the years watching his I'm watching all of his films, you know, he's a guy who really leans into the past and, you know, and mm-hmm. doesn't forget what, what, the, what the craft of filmmaking is about. Completely. And I feel like we, you know, there's a lot of things that don't honor that craft of filmmaking. And it's so nice to see something where they were able to allocate the money to make those things happen. And I know it was like a tumultuous shoot to make that actually happen, but it was very worthwhile. Oh yeah. And the other thing about this film is it really looks like everybody is enjoying what, you know, they're enjoying what's happening. I want to say that this might be, there was a point where I was like, uh, I thought Anthony Hopkins was over the top, but like now (laughs) I I feel like this might be my favorite Anthony Hopkins performance. (laughs) (laughs) What's the stupid joke that I made? Anthony Van Hopkins is what I think I called him. Right. Well, look, man, he was all in. He went, he leaned all into that uh, Van Helsing. I think for, again, 23-year-old me was, you, you already mentioned Keanu. Keanu went on, Winona and, and Hopkins were the standout and to me. And we've talked about, in, in a negative way, for me, for 23-year-old me, 53-year-old me is like, we have a, our motto on the show, Whitney, is, is it better remembered or remembered better? Mm-hmm. I love this movie more than I did in 92. I love that. And just watching it last night, I'm like this 23. And this is something I say often too. 23 on me was a dumb person. He, he liked what he liked and nobody could tell him differently. And this movie is not just an age as well. It's just that it's, it still looks amazing. It sounds amazing. And it, and it just sucks you right in. Mm-hmm. For a movie that's that the runtime that it is, it does not feel like it, and that's that's hard to say from a movie in the '90s. That's why almost movies in the '90s are one forty to one fifty because th- there's just not enough story to tell. Mm-hmm. But the way it's told visually is so good; it's so good, and I I love that he that Francis made those choices of getting as much in camera like the original, the the, the, the most iconic. Dracula before that is, is the universal. (laughs) And that's, I mean, like a lot of stuff, it's all in camera because there wasn't a choice, but having all of the, um, I shouldn't say all the money is disposal because that wasn't necessarily true, (laughs) (laughs) but, but the choices that he made costume wise, the choices that he made, like I said, to, to not just for, for authenticity of, the type of story you try and tell from a much earlier period in, in, in film history, it's still to tell an even older story. Right. It, it's, it's tremendous. It's like, I, I, it's such a well-made movie and it's, it's built by a master who lets every department shine. What's super cool about it, which I didn't really put together until I heard Roman talking about it uh, a few months ago, was you know, Dra- Dracula is an illusionist, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Like, you know, I mean, it's, you know, uh, am I a wolf? Am I not a wolf? Um, right. You know. He's constantly changing his form. That's why right. he appears in one, so many different costumes, so many different makeup effects. <sighs> so he, you don't, you can't pin him down. He's always changing. And I love, that's why I like the magician thing. So I, that's amazing because that's yeah. so exciting exactly who he is. Right. I wrote this down because I couldn't remember all of them. So I wrote down my different forms of Dracula in the movie. Correct <laughs> me if I'm missing something. So we have Crusades Dracula, right? The, the awesome yep. red suit. Glad. Yep. Um, yep. We have old Dracula that we first introduced to with Keanu. Yep. Right. We have young London Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have wolf Dracula. Mm-hmm. And we have half wolf Dracula. Right. And then we have bat Dracula. Yes. Did I miss something? Green Mist Dracula. Green Mist Dracula. See? 
he's also the the driver. He's the he's right. te- technically the driver. Oh right, yeah. 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 When when he first arrives in Transylvania, yeah. That whole green mist thing. So mm-hmm. th- th- that's all in camera too. It's not like a after effect. It's, it's literally they built like this um, trough, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word, out of dubatine, which you don't see. I mean, you can't see it because of the way that it was shot and the way it was lit. But literally, and then that green mist travels along that, and they did it all in camera. It's Man. so cool. Yeah. So it's, it's just crazy. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, that's kind of a form of Dracula, the green mist, right? And he shows up in the bed. That's fair. What was the movie we were talking about when I referenced this movie with the use of light and shadows in this? What was the movie we were covering? Oh God, I'm trying to remember. Was it Ghost Story? No. I can't remember. No, I can't remember what it was. But again, this is the first time I've seen it since we talked about it. Uh, and since I referenced it in whatever other movie we were, co- we were covering, the light and, and it, obviously the shadows, you, you, you're, the shadows are being revealed to let you know how what Dracula's nefarious plan is. And he's he like, the, and you only really see it when he, when, when Jonathan's around, right? When oh. he knows he's the key to, and, and you're already seeing it too. Cause he's the first visitor he's had like, and they don't really say, but it's been a very long time <laughs> since he's had a visitor at the castle. Since Renfield. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> and he, you can't tell if he's going to murder him. And this is even before we're aware of, of Mina, right? We're, not, we're He's not even aware of her yet. Right, and he's already his shadow is saying, "I'm going to kill this guy. I'm struggling." Yeah, not I love to that kill. His, his shadow is doing something totally different from what Dracula is doing. <laughs> it's it, it's fantastic because his shadow is its own thing, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. what 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 the other thing is crazy about this, and what I think really sets this film is it's the theatrical aspect of it. I mean, yeah. all of this looks like. It looks like a giant stage production. Yes. <laughs> yes. 100%. Right? Like, I mean, the way it's lit, the way, you know. The camera moves. The, the camera the moves camera almost moves. like you like you were in, sitting in an audience and your eyes were shifting to another part of the stage. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. that's. I think that's why it feels so dreamlike because it is, you, if you've seen enough, if you've gone on enough uh, live productions, you, you, your eyes are shifting around. You're not always focused on, you know, center stage. There's always something going on. I felt like that every portion of the frame was always doing something. And it gave this dreamlike quality. Yeah. And especially because I think Coppola said he wanted everyone to feel like they were on acid. And I was like, yeah, yeah you, you, you nailed it. You, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they, I think Tom Waits may have been on acid. Probably. <laughs> what, what I was going to ask, forgive me if I'm mm. my ignorance, but did, is, did they turn this into a Broadway? They didn't um there was a stage musical of there's been lots of dracula stage musicals but there's uh the big one was a lestat musical which i saw in san francisco before it transferred to broadway long ago and oh boy was my one of my dear friends play lewis and i was oh boy (laughs) yeah but the show was uh interesting (laughs) excellent couldn't you imagine like i would i would pay money to see bram stoker's uh dracula on, you know, live, like, uh, you know, as a giant, even if it was a musical, I mean, well, that's, isn't that, isn't that what they do in from forgetting Sarah Marshall? Isn't that his whole, oh, right. his whole yeah. puppet? Yeah. And, <laughs> sure. yes. and that's fantastic. That, that lends to the whole idea that that could work. It's actually the most serious part of the movies when he's yeah. talking about that. And uh, that, I think that would be a blast to see. I mean, you make a musical of everything else. And, and it, I've always found too, that musicals, the best musicals are the ones where the adaptation doesn't make any sense. Like how can you do that musical version of that? It's making something totally new out of the source material, kind yep. of, you know, making it its own thing. That's when they're the most, I'm a big musicals fan. So I have, Lots of knowledge. <laughs> well, that was my first real big thing that I saw. And I know it sounds funny to say this because it's been out forever. Was But Wicked, the, the national, the traveling show was, was here in L.A. four years ago, I think it was. And so that was like my first non-local theater production I had seen. I'm like, mm-hmm. like my mind was blown the entire time. I'm yes. like, this, it's just like, yes. well, no wonder it's been running for this many years because it's. This, it's tremendous. So we've been waiting for it to come back again right. so we can take the kid to go see it because he's going to enjoy it too. But but you, so you're talking about that adaptation. It says Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is probably the, the truest adaptation of the book that I've seen. 
Oh yeah, where it touches on things like. I mean, how many iterations of... Well, uh, it's a love story when he right. boils all down to right. it. Like, right? Yeah, Which I never feel like is, is not represented yeah. very well in other Dracula movies. No, no. Completely. I think that's what makes this so strong. Right? Outside of the Frank Langella, um, oh, yeah. uh, Lawrence Olivier, uh, see how I like to go back to Hamlet? Uh, the Lawrence yeah. Olivier um, I was gonna say yeah. earlier. version. <laughs> the, this movie is definitely... Close, the closest adaptation to the book. And also, uh, what, what's fun about this movie is that all of the characters seem to get their equal time, right? Like like mm-hmm. the three suitors, Lucy's suitors. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a great balance uh, between all of the characters. Nobody really gets lost in, in, the, in the way that, you know, in, in the stories. I mean, here's the other thing we didn't touch on about this film is the way it's edited. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we all know, there's a certain there's a there's a talent that if there's a talent that goes unnoticed, a lot of times it's the edit. Um, because you know, I've seen dailies, and I'm like, oh wow, this will be interesting. And then then you see something <laughs> cut together, and you're like, oh oh wow, yeah, well it is interesting, but not in the way I thought it was going to be interesting. But this movie, the flow, the uh, the transitions in this film, mm-hmm. the balance of character. And the, you know, the balancing of the stories, because it's really like, there's three stories going on, like at all times, you know, we're getting three different takes on the, there's Mina and Drax, and then there's Mina and Jonathan, and then there's the suitors and loot and that whole, mm-hmm. but I mean, just the way that the movie sort of balances and flows back and forth between all that and its storytelling and doesn't, and one doesn't overpower the other, it, you know. At the end of the day, the movie's called Dracula, (laughs) and they do a very nice job while keeping the stories balanced, not overshadowing the main story. You know, the reason why people are there is for, you know, Dracula and Mina. Right. Right. And I feel like people who really know the book love this version more than people who are just like, oh, you know, people who are going to see like The Lost Boys part two and they were like, what the fuck was that, man? <laughs> right. <laughs> there was too much love talk in that movie. And that, but that's what makes this so powerful. Love never dies. Love never dies. Yeah. <laughs> just having that through line through the whole movie. I mean, it's more just than Dracula, you know, sucking people's blood. Like, right. that's what a lot of people think of, but this is, the plot is so in-depth, and because of all this, like, symbology in every visual piece of this movie, there is a, I can't call it subtle, but it's not hitting you over the head at times. Like, there's so much hidden meaning in everything, and so you really yes. want to watch it over and over again to capture everything that's being said. And so, but the, still, the main focus, it's all leading towards this great love story. So much of what Ico did with these costumes is connecting both Mina back to Elisabetta and back to that great love of his life. And so a lot of the, the regular audiences won't catch all the, you know, different storytelling bits on first watch, but the more that you watch it over and over again, you pick up on different details of, of how she's solidifying their love, love story through the costumes. I couldn't agree more. This is a movie I feel that gets better every time you watch it. And for mm-hmm. me, every time I notice something new every time I see it. Same. Completely. I just think it's one of those movies that, and again, that's the sign of, you know, a kind of a masterpiece, right? Is like something that can hold your interest, multiple viewings, and also something that you discover new things each time you see the movie, whether it's visually or, you know, or it's an idea or a thought that maybe didn't occur to you before. But this is a movie that I feel if I watch it again in 10 years, I'll take even more from it. And, you know, maybe part of that's my life experience. Mm-hmm. and more to relate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what it is at this moment, <laughs> but I don't care. I just enjoy watching the movie and, you know, taking something away from it every time I see it. It's always just a joy to watch. I've found that after watching this again, I'm not waiting 20 years to see it again. <laughs> no, no, me neither. I mean, I've watched it. I've seen it twice since January. I, and I've, I, I have a feeling it. that this might be a once a year thing. And I don't even think I'll have to go. I don't think I'll have to. I, I'll be conscious of it. I'm not going to be like, you know what? I haven't seen in a while. I'll be aware of it. I'm going to definitely squeeze it in. 
after Freddie um, had the screening while he was in Atlanta, I kept thinking, you know, how can we work this into the show? Like, how can how can we cover Dracula? Because this is yes. how, how is this? So when we because we wanted to tell the story about his about him going to the screening and everything, but but we were trying to keep it on, on you know low key that he wasn't there and what he was working on, and we knew the audience knew that he was working in Atlanta, but we didn't say what it was, mm-hmm. and so we kept to keep had to keep biting my lip edit it once in a while when I let it slip of an episode, like what he was doing. But I've always felt like this is that one movie of Coppola's that didn't get a fair shake. And even by me, cause I, again, I let my old, my young version of myself dictate it. But like Freddie said, 10 years from now, is it just life experiences that changes how you perceive a movie or, or anything literature or t- television or music, music, all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I find that, I disagree with 23-year-old me a lot. If there's anything that this show has done for me, it's remind me like <laughs> 20-year-olds, <laughs> you don't know everything. <laughs> you don't know everything when you're 23, man. No. Nope. No. Not, not, not a thing. Like looking back at me at 23, I'm like, wow, I have come so far since <laughs> that time. <laughs> I feel like... There, this is one of those movies that we can t- go on and on about. By the way, I don't know it. We did two Filmnesias in a row with Keanu movies. Oh, amazing. Right? <laughs> the, you go in and pick Point Break. Yeah, Point, yeah. Point Break. Yeah. Great movie. Well, hey, man, you know, it's Keanu. I love Keanu. He's the one. My other regular yearly rewatch is Speed. So I'm just, I'll yeah. have these two on yearly rotation. <laughs> hey, let me ask you guys a question. So look, like what holiday do you guys associate this film with? Like if you were going to play it, like, you know, Thanksgiving. Me too. I don't know why. It's not <laughs> Halloween. I don't so I, It's not Halloween. I literally, when I think of yeah. Dracula, I think of it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, this is not a, ha- a Halloween movie at all. No. Um, I was thinking winter because there's so much winter in there. So I was like, um, Valentine's Day. <laughs> well, it could be. That I mean, works yeah. too. I mean, it, it, it makes more sense. Valentine's Day makes more sense than Thanksgiving. I don't know why I think Thanksgiving. Like, I'm thankful <laughs> for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, I think I it's know. because it's release date because it came out like a week or two before Thanksgiving. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, that's probably part of it, but it's weird because I mean, until you said that, I hadn't even. And now I'm looking at it, November thirteenth, nineteen ninety two, but I don't wow. know that I remembered that. I was right. just thinking, like, if I was to like, oh yeah, there's certain holiday movies, and maybe it's because there aren't any, there aren't a lot of good Thanksgiving holiday movies. I just kind of rotate this in there, but um, yeah, okay, maybe it's because it's November, but I think Valentine's Day is a better. Maybe I'm going to start watching it Valentine's Day. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do too. (laughs) I do want to mention the one other thing I love about this movie is that there was a tie-in book, promotional book that was made that was um, Ico and Francis Ford Coppola in conversation about the costumes. Oh, what? Yeah, it's an incredible book that I go back to time and time again. But it's so rare that our work as costume designers really truly gets featured. And to have the studio put out an official tie-in book about the costumes. And something recently just happened with Euphoria and A24 just put out a book with the designer Heidi Bevins. And I just want to see more of these collaborations happen because the amount of behind-the-scenes info in this Dracula book is... I couldn't have written my blog without reading this amazing book. And speaking as someone who got into film because I was obsessively watching the behind the scenes information on every VHS that I, you know, could get my hands on. It just feeds my soul in a way that nothing else can. There's a few books that she put out, right? Like, like, like she published. Yeah. I have all of them. (laughs) These are those kind of books that you want. I mean, you always refer to them as coffee table books, yep. but I have a whole bunch of these in here in the studio. And I was, even though I might be working on music, it's still that visual creativity gets just kind of gets bubbly when you start looking at other art. And her work was, oh gosh, yeah. when you go through some of these books, uh, I have, I think I have, I think I go on stage is the one I have. That's a great one. I just, I'm looking at my Ico by Ico because she was a visual artist. I mean, one of her favorite things was just working in a new medium all the time. She was poster designer, designer for Grace Jones, did this, you know, this right. movie. And she, she did everything. She designed the Beijing opening ceremony of the Olympics. Like she did everything. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, the cover of the, the book you're talking about, the companion book is, it's it's the red it's the red outfit, right? Yeah. yeah. The red robe. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I highly oh recommend God. it. It's great. 
that overhead shot. It unfortunately it's at it's out of print, but it, the hardcover is. I love when the hardcover books are less expensive than the paperbacks. Uh, right. So so even a, a good price on you know for a, a good used version of that book is one thirty nine, but that's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> worth well, it. It's, and it's not like it's shy pages too. It's a big book. <laughs> no, and just the yeah the conversation, the quotes from both Francis and Iko, and just talking about the whole process and the symbology. I mean, it's one of the most brilliant costume designs that has ever happened, in my opinion. So no, a hundred percent. Getting that deep dive into it just makes makes me giddy. <laughs> it's one of those movies where the you you see it right away if you if you're not familiar with it actually winning the um, Academy Award for it. Mm-hmm. You see it and like I wonder if this one because you, you your mind automatically goes to that. I mean I knew it did, but what else did it go up against too? And it went up some against some heavy hitters, yeah. but. Yeah. But like we, we talked about, there's so many variations of Dracula in there. And like you meant, we're talking about the suitors. They all, they their costumes were similar, but they were all relative to where they were, where they came from in the world, geographically speaking. You know, you mm-hmm. got two Americans and, and a Brit. Like it made right. two. You got the Texan, you got the Western right. like, look. You you know, everyone had a very right. clear character. Right. And I loved how those were very distinct things and while I was like intermixing the East versus West with the other aspects of, of the design of the show. Again, you know you have a visually stunning movie when you can watch it with it muted. And <laughs> this yeah. is definitely one of those ones. Could play. We, we talked earlier about the editing, right? The editing has moments of it's very dreamlike, very flowy, like like Freddie mentioned. But also, there were some very music video moments in there, too, just to kind of jar the audience. Like, you, like you're coming out of a certain state of... And intoxication and, and you're being jarred into kind of reality. And, and you see it a bit like when it's changing from one sequence to another, it's again, it's something that I didn't notice before I saw it again last night. It, it's it. Yeah. This is definitely a, a, a once a year now. Like, and I'm like, I'm disappointed in myself as a <laughs> film fan for putting it off. I'm so glad that I could help in that regard with this one. <laughs> What, what I want to say really quickly, without going down the Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> rabbit hole, um, Francis loves the costume design. It, it, it's really the thing that matters the most to him in the oh, film. In films, it, and, and it's funny. Like if you look, because I just watched Godfather Part okay. One and Two. Mm-hmm. The thing I would say about Godfather, and, I, and I'm going to I'm going to say this real quick. So Godfather Chinatown. Uh, in the Great Gatsby, the '74 mm-hmm. Redford version, right? Mm-hmm. Costume-wise, the difference for me watching those three movies—it's right. They're all basically the same time period. But when you watch the Godfather films, you you feel like you're watching. Re- I mean, to me, I look at it and I'm like, God, those that really. I, all I'm looking at is the '40s and '50s. But when I watch Chinatown, I see an influence of '70s. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing, but right. it's just, it's just the way it's the difference between how Francis makes a film and uh, how Roman Plansky or, and I, and I forget who directed the, uh, the Gatsby, but the, the, the just, it, if you look at all of Francis's films, he, he, the one thing he really always cares about and as a costume designer, you'll love it is really, he's in love with what is on his actors. Mm-hmm. The storytelling there is something he yeah. cares so much about. And you, know, you think of the 70s Gatsby. It is so 70s. Yes. I mean, much like I think our Gatsby of 2013 feels very of the time, of 2013. Right. And, you know, that was very much on purpose. But there's something just so incredible about Coppola being so specific in what he wants and really creating that world that feels like you it was made at any decade. Right. right. Like it feels like you could be watching, you know, it, it, Humphrey, if Humphrey Bogart staggered into like right. the, you know, the scene, one of the, the wedding scene at, uh, in, the, in the opening of the Godfather, you wouldn't question the way he was dressed or anything else. hundred so, percent. Yeah. Um, so accurate. And so, you know, on point. I've talked to, I mean, this is, again, this might not be the episode, but I just want to kind of make a note of it just the, about the competition thing in, in general. Mm-hmm. We, I take the kid to see lots of movies, but mm-hmm. 
the, there's 52 weeks out of the year and I hate that these studios keep second guessing horror fans. Yes. Yes. They mm-hmm. stack two horror movies, two consecutive Fridays on top of each other. What was that? Evil Dead Rise and mm-hmm. the Pope's Exorcist were coming out the same day. I'm like, can't you, can't you spread, spread this, this out? out? It's like, right? wealth, as they it's say. Like, and then it becomes like, well, I guess, uh, I guess horror movies aren't as big as like, well, cool. Don't put them out on the same damn day. Exactly. You're not going to put on two superhero movies the same day. So why would you do it that way? And in horror is like the most bankable genre. People yeah. are always going to go spend money and see horror movies. Yeah. I mean, you look at what happened last year. I got to vote on the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards this oh, right. year. And just it was the the hardest choice to try to vote on because it was the most incredible year of horror there last year. There were so many good movies last year. Oh, so, man. So, you know, it, it's frustrating that they don't take horror seriously and especially the craft that goes into it. You know, right. there's still this... Um, conception that horror is just cheesy, low-budget slasher. And that's not... Hey, one, I love cheesy, low-budget slasher. Yes. They're, they're incredible. They're a, a wild, fun time. But that doesn't mean that they're less deserving of accolades and love. And, right. you know, people are going to spend money to go see them. And the new Evil Dead is incredible. It's it so, is. so, so good. And, you know, I just hope more people give horror a chance. I love the fact that that Evil Dead Rise went from being, hey, this was supposed to be an HBO Max movie. And then right. there was some screening where they said, no, this is going theatrical and, mm-hmm. and it deserved to be because it yeah. was. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kid was very well, he's well versed in all the Evil Dead stuff. So that was his first time seeing one in the theater though. And he took a buddy with him and his buddy had never seen a horror movie in a theater before. Oh, wow. So that was an experience and he had a blast. He's like, we need to come back and see this again. Yep. <laughs> we did a lot of people in our theater, probably about 20 people in the theater, which but is- even that, 20 people experiencing those same yeah. crazy moments together, there's nothing like being in the cinema. Yeah, we had a good crowd like that too for Renfield, where it was oh, just- nice. Renfield uh, got um, Pope's Exorcist, Evil Dead. There were, I can't forget what the other movie that was stacked on top of something else too. But they're all four very different movies. And you talking about you're talking about the lowbrow slasher stuff all the way up to something, some high conceptual thing. Yeah. It doesn't I hate that these studios sometimes will just go, it's horror and not look well, at well, come on down. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> as the three of us could I mean, here's the thing. Horror films are always better in a theater with people. Yes. Always. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Going back to I saw the first paranormal activity in a rowdy theater in Boston Amazing. in 2007. Yes. And people were talking to the screen and people were yelling <laughs> and people were hiding. You know, it, it it was it was packed. It was a packed house. And that's what's missing. That that's the one thing that streaming and all of this is kind of ruined for me. Yeah, is the the going to the movie the the experience of not only seeing something on a giant screen and being visually surrounded, but the interaction with other people and the reacting to what's happening in the yeah. moment with 150 strangers, <laughs> right? There's nothing like that experience. And we sort of got, it was too bad um, that Freaky came out when it did yeah. because, you know, no one was going to the theater. I wasn't because I'm immunocompromised. I'm like, I, I was not going back to the right. theater then. And right. It didn't get the sort of theatrical release that it would have done so well under normal circumstances. And I do have to say that I feel like there is some bad, cinema behavior these days. I feel Mm -hmm. like people... I love a rowdy screening, but there's a difference between a rowdy screening and people just being disrespectful and on their phones. Oh, you mean that asshole at South By? That guy? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Even back in, you know, 2007, like, people weren't lighting up their phone. That's the thing that that does drive me crazy Mm -hmm. because I I literally had a really terrible experience when I saw um, It the Stephen King, the last version of it, the two people on behind me were on their phones the entire time. Somebody was FaceTiming Uh, and I just was like, yeah, you know, and they're like holding it up so their friend could see it. I'm like, you know what, man, (laughs) turn your phone off. That's crazy. 
you know, being in the, being in the theater is still better than anything for me. I mean, at 100%. home I get distracted, things are happening. Like I love going, I can just turn my phone off. I sit in a giant theater on the big screen, you know, anytime here yeah. I am, you know, still immunocompromised and I tend to go to like Tuesday morning screenings now. So right. there's not as many people in the theater, but I still go and I still, cause I need that theater yep. experience. And how amazing is it to go by yourself? Always. Oh, I love it. Right? Okay. <laughs> the best. It's I don't, the best. Why is I don't know what it is about this online vibe that people think that going to a going to a room by yourself like but everybody I've talked to everybody does it so I'm like yeah, so maybe maybe you're the minority so yeah so who's the, who's writing these posts on who's writing these internet posts these, it's some yeah. right? it's some AI thing right yeah it's fake. <laughs> Uh, last year, I went and saw, you remember Moonfall? I was like, went to see it in, in IMAX. I was the only person. It was like Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. And I had the best time by myself watching that insane movie. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's th there's something to be said. I love to see it with people. But also, if yeah. I'm the only one in the theater, I did that, I don't, that doesn't bother me either. Yeah. Same. It's kind of like going to church for me, right? Yep. Like it, it's it, it's the same it is thing. My church, as yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of like uh, again going to a movie by yourself, there is one movie, but there's one movie that I have to say I experienced. I didn't see it till I was at home. Was Spike Jones her? Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? I, I, this is the opposite effect. I'm glad I didn't see this in the theater because it's such an like seriously intimate movie. Yeah. Because it, he. It, um, I couldn't, I would have been uncomfortable actually <laughs> being in a movie theater with other people while that movie is happening. And it's, right. such, it's such a, I mean, it, it probably is the most intimate personal movie for a character. Okay. It's very, it's very immersive. Like it's almost like a fly on the wall. Like you're like you're tapping into the, the main character's life in a way that hasn't been done before. I guess I'm sure you should be surprised at all. Spike Jones made such a unique movie, but right. uh, yeah, that's the one time I've ever thought <laughs> the, the opposite. I usually think, man, I should have saw that in the theater. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't see that in the theater. I would have been weird. Like, I had my nice, like, you know, time to see it by myself. <laughs> and that was also a very underrated, brilliant costume design in that because yes. it's the future, but how do you do it in a way that makes sense? And it's realistic. Right. The future, but where, how far yeah. into the future. future. Exactly. And the, produ and the production design. Yeah. Production design too, across the board uh, with that as well too. It's like, it feels yes. familiar, but it doesn't. It's the cyclical. Everything is cyclical. I mean, bringing those high-waisted pants back and everything was referencing other earlier 20th century fashion trends. I mean, now we're back in the 70s again right. in, yep. in 2023. So it's taking different pieces from different decades and it was just so smartly done. Yep. Love it. I have to say something. So we refer to him as BTH in this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the... Your work with with Brian Tyree Henry is so great. His his red carpet stuff is so great. He's in, he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I love him so much. And you know, once the pandemic hit, uh, I stopped styling him uh, just because I'm on the East Coast and he does. You know, he lives in L.A. now, but now he's just a dear friend who I, you know, we always talked about him getting to go to the Met Gala. And the fact he got to go last week was pretty freaking cool. But he's that's awesome. He's incredible. Joe, my son, didn't it wasn't real f familiar with him because most of the stuff is kind of outside his thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, I think it was the first thing he had seen him in. And oh, so, nice. so then that was like this biggest like as far as like studio thing that he's done. And. Joey loved it. But then when I so showed him Bullet Train recently. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and Freddie and I both adore this movie. Freddie saw it way before I did. It's so fun. It's so fun. It really is. And he is so great in it. He's exactly like everything that's so charismatic about him in well, Atlanta. I mean, he's, I don't know how that show doesn't win more awards. I know. It's crazy to me. It's such a wonderful show. And that was the first thing I really saw him in. And you got a lot of it. A lot of everybody on that show was tremendous. And dude, Widows is like one of my favorite uh, performances. He's incredible. And Bullet Train, he almost didn't accept because in the original script, his character died. And he's like, "I won't. I won't do this movie if I die." And so they, 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 they to keep to keep him in it, they rewrote the part for him. That's and great. They made it bigger, and like Brad Pitt expanded his role because they really wanted to keep him in the movie, and I think that was so cool. Yeah, I think with I, 
we, I think Freddie and I talked about that. I'm like, I want to spin off of those two. Like yes. b- before, be- <laughs> what happened before the bullet train? Yeah. Yeah. Because you Absolutely. get a little, you get a taste of that in the movie. You get a little bit of that flashback with them. But yeah. I want, but I want to get a little flashback. I want to see him as, I want to see him as teenagers. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> there's, I mean, it's ripe for uh, not even just a feature, but like a limited series. I could see them pulling off like six episodes and just, just they telling that story. chemistry together. Oh like, yeah. Like they just, it was so much fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> watching the watching the BTS on that too is hysterical. You can just tell everybody was having a good time. Thanks for coming on. It's been, this you. has been awesome. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to do it again. This has been such a blast. So, do do you have any socials you want to throw out there? Yes, my Instagram is waa costume design. My Twitter is Whitney A Adams, and then my website is WhitneyAdams.com. Cool. Those will all be in the show notes too. So, if you're driving your car right now, <laughs> you don't have to. Sp- start grabbing your phone and searching for this stuff. I'll, I'll make sure it's all added there and everybody can. Yeah. We'll, we'll hit it up at the end. And if you, you know, and if you haven't seen paranormal activity, you should definitely see it. I, I had no idea what to expect, but I knew it would look good costume wise, but man, it's, it's actually a really fun movie too. It is. It's probably my favorite of the bunch. <laughs> we already mentioned the original paranormal activity. If, if you all, if your experience is only that original movie, this is as divergent from that movie as possible. It's still, yeah, quote unquote, same franchise, but it is everything about it is different across the board. Yeah, it's really fun, and it's like again, I said, it's beautiful. Your work in it oh, really pops. Thank you. I'm so, I'm really really proud of it. It's a good time, and we need to say this one more time. It's on Paramount Plus. Where is it at? <laughs> Paramount Plus. <laughs> Paramount Plus. I have another movie on Paramount Plus called Three Months, so people can also check that out. Oh, sweet. Very good. Well, if you want to follow the show on the socials, it's at Karate Pod on Letterboxd. Oh, by the way, do you not have a Letterboxd account? Oh, I do have a Letterboxd. I, I love my Letterboxd account. I log all my movies there. Which What's the, what's the tag on that? I, I believe. What is my tag on Letterboxd? It might, <laughs> Hold on. I have to look it up. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know that we're, we I follow each other on there. Whitney Ann Adams. Oh, it's Waddams. W-A-A, three A's in a row, Waddams. Perfect. <laughs> I, I always find there's there's a lot that can come from when you see somebody log a certain movie. I'm like, oh, they are prepping for this movie and this is what they are watching. It's fun to kind of look at that kind of stuff. Exactly. And then I always do a quote, you know, quote unquote review and I put the costume designer in again, just trying to bring some of those unmentioned creative folks to the fore. Um, especially, you know, not just costume designers. Like I just rewatched one of my favorite movies, Jaws, you know, the other day and in honor of the cinematographer, Bill Butler, who just passed away. So I also have my top 10 list of my top 10 favorite movies in there. So I have a lot of fun, fun stuff on my letterbox. If you want to follow the show on socials, it's at Karate Pod on letterbox, Insta, and uh, what was the other one? Twitter? (laughs) Twitter. And Culprit 97 on, for me, on the Insta and uh, letterbox is Corey underscore Culp. If you'd like to follow me, follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram or at Tom Cody at Letterbox. That's Tom Cody Letterbox.com. <laughs> <dot> <laughs>